Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who want a hot dog real bad. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Ping Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question... Are these movies actually good? <laughs> At the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Why the hesitation? <laughs> it's a poignant question. Are these movies actually good? <laughs> um, today, we are talking about 2003's Legally Blonde, Red, White, and Blonde. <laughs> In America, there are those who make the law and those who make it look good. Oh, excuse me. Elle Woods found the perfect job. We're lawyers. We have to fight for justice. Where she could speak up for the underdog. Animal testing for cosmetics is unjust. The cost of beauty is much too high. I can't believe I just said that. You're fired, Elle. What? Don't cry, you can do this. Okay, don't cry hard. Now she's taking her fight to the nation's capital. Washington, you fall asleep when we watch the West Wing. But have you seen what they're wearing? Too Nancy, too Hillary, too Monica. Too perfect for words. Hello, Patriots. I don't think I've been this excited since Gucci became a publicly traded company. Oh my God, it's Capital Barbie. She may not have the experience. I'm Al Woods. I'm actually an old congressman from Delaware. I've been to Delaware, no sales tax. Good win, sir. You're out of order, Ms. Woods. She doesn't have the support. Perhaps you could look at my economics incentive chart. It's pop-up. But that won't stop one woman. You know what I thought the first time I saw you? That woman wears a lot of pink. No, that woman can make a difference. From rising to the challenge. You can't get the people to care. Watch me. I can't do this alone. I'm calling in reinforcements. Celebrate the land of the free. Let's hit the hill. You look like the 4th of July. It makes me want to have a hot dog real bad. And the home of the blonde. You have to get a bill before you have a hearing. Like this one? But it's pink and scented. Reese Witherspoon. Never no, underestimate no, no. a woman with a French manicure and a Harvard law degree. Delta! No! Legally Blonde 2, Red, White, and Blonde. They did not hesitate to put the word blonde in there twice. <laughs> so today's a little different than normal. We are coming to you from my kitchen. Yes, <laughs> we are together in Brooklyn, NY today. We have been for the past few days. Mm -hmm. Um, I came into town for the screening of our documentary, which was yesterday. And now I'm just here haunting Audrey's apartment and sleeping in her bed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a small space, but... It's a small space. And uh, she and Hunter are generous enough to let me hang about. I'm trying to get a corporate salad after this. You know, you know how it is. Yeah. And today we are 
more legit than usual because we're actually going to watch the movie in the middle. Yes. And we haven't done that in a long, long time. Yes. So Audrey, what is our hot take of the week? I'm pretty sure we've had hot takes from Sarah like recently. Yes. Sarah is on the Discord and she just keeps pumping them out. And so they're, they're all good. good. <laughs> so this week it is, who is the most problematic love interest in the movies we covered? I yes. Guess. Or of the early 2000s, yeah. I guess. Chuck Bass. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. pretty bad. <laughs> like season one with, yeah. this, with like the multi-season long redemption arc. Like mm-hmm. how do you come back from assaulting two of the leads in one season? The only reason that happened is because audiences loved Chuck and Blair the most. And yeah. so they had to figure out how to redeem him because... That's why people were watching the show. Yeah. Like Serena and Dan are not entertaining. No, definitely (laughs) not. They're Uh, two people that take themselves too seriously. Yeah. Like their flings with other people were the most entertaining thing about them together. It was like the drama that they had because they kept messing up. It wasn't about the romance between them. Yes. Obviously, Blair and Chuck take themselves seriously too, but like in a fun way. I mean, pretty much every love interest I think is bad. (laughs) I feel like Troy Bolton is kind of problematic in that he's like a narcissist really bad. I just like never really thought about him very much. Me neither until right now. I'm like dredging it up in my mind. As a character, there is almost nothing behind those eyes. No. Like. No, I totally agree. I got another good one. What? Um... Chad Michael Murray in a Cinderella story when he's yeah. like he's yeah, a good he's one. He's bad because yeah. all he cares about are qualitative things. Yeah, he wants his girls eating hamburgers, but yeah. so skinny. I mean, he what he hides behind a username <laughs> and then like watches bullying. Yes, he happen. Does. Yes. And doesn't really say anything. No. Until it's about what he wants. Yes. Like he wants to be with Hill. So now he's not okay with anybody like bullying her. Are you ready to get into the facts here? Yep. Okay. So Legally Blonde 2, Red, White, and Blonde was released on July 2nd, 2003. How American of them to release on July 2nd. And just before we get into this, there are different writers and a different director for this movie. Clearly. Clearly. Again, (laughs) We're impartial. (laughs) We're currently impartial, obviously. This movie was rated PG-13 for uh, like sexual related humor or something. It was directed by Charles Herman Wormfeld. And he is best known for having directed this movie. Interesting. Kissing Jessica Stein, Rage Room, and The Hammer. And then he also directed- Do you know about Kissing Jessica Stein? No. That is something we- I mean, it's a, I don't know that it necessarily fits into this, but it's a it's really good. And it's about lesbians. Hey, OK. Really I didn't know that. Um, So that's surprising that he directed that. All right. It's good. And it, I think it does fit into this category. It's just a little early. OK. We'll yeah. have to watch that. Happy, happy pride. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he also directed the Legally Blonde TV pilot, which I didn't even know existed. But they tried. Not surprising. The screenplay was written by Dennis Drake and Eve Allert. 
they were writing partners, as far as I can tell. And this was the last thing that they wrote. But they were also known for having written Campus Cops, Maggie Winters, and two episodes of The Nanny. And of course, the characters were written by Amanda Brown, who wrote the original book. So she's just living living life in the royalties between this and the musical like Mm -hmm. imagine. And then I thought it was just interesting uh, because we're going to get into the cinematography of this movie for sure. And the cinematographer is Elliot Davis, who is the same person that did Twilight. So a man who's not afraid of a bold choice. Clearly, Would you like to read us the synopsis? Yes. Okay, here we go. After Elle Woods, the eternally perky, fashionably adventurous, famously blonde Harvard law grad gets fired by her law firm because of her opposition to animal testing. She takes her fight to Washington. As an aide for Congresswoman Victoria Rudd, she pushes for a bill to ban testing once and for all, but it's her building's doorman who advises her on how to get her way on the Hill. Okay, Audrey, these taglines. Okay, so we've got three taglines. The first one is... This summer, dot, 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 justice is blonde. (laughs) The second one is join the party. That's absolutely awful. Yeah. That could be for any movie. Well, do you get the pun though? Yeah, party. I get it. Political party. (laughs) Ha. Still. Yeah. And the third one is bigger, bolder, blonder. So getting into this cast. First of all, we have Reese Witherspoon as Elle. I don't need to explain to you who Reese Witherspoon is. She's Reese Witherspoon. Next, we have Sally Field as Congresswoman Rudd. Also someone I probably don't need to explain to you, but her most like well-known roles were in or are in Forrest Gump, Steel Magnolias, Smokey and the Bandit, and Lincoln, in which she plays Mary Todd Lincoln, which I thought was funny. Next, we have Bob Newhart as Sid who weirdly, like the first project he was well known for on his IMDb was The Rescuers. But we first learned who he was from Elf, obviously. I mean, I didn't know who he was. I just, I probably put it together when I saw this movie that they were the same person, I guess. Yes, probably. But I did not know who Bob Newhart was. (laughs) Well, me neither. It was definitely like Elf in this movie. It was like that old guy. Like that old guy. (laughs) But um, upon researching, I discovered that he did have a sitcom that he was on for a really long time that was his last name, Newhart. Mm -hmm. So, but he wasn't even playing a character named Newhart like on the show, which I found confusing, but... I guess not everything is Seinfeld. Next, we have Regina King as Grace. There are four Oscar winners in this cast, which is really funny. Um, And she's one of them. But she's best known for having been in Ray, If Beale Street Could Talk, Miss Congeniality 2, LOL, and The Harder They Fall. And, of course, A Cinderella Story, which is very relevant to us. Next up, of course, we have Jennifer Coolidge as Paulette, a legend among us to this day. She is best known for her roles in American Pie, A Mighty Wind, Epic Movie, White Lotus, of course, Legally Blonde, of course, and A Cinderella Story, of course. But she also was in a lot of Two Broke Girls. Also very well known for her work in mockumentaries, such as... Best in Show, and with Jane Lynch, they're a lesbian couple. Last but not least, we have Luke Wilson as Emmett. He's in the Royal Tenenbaums, Old School, Bottle Rocket, and Vacancy. To me, he's just Emmett in Legally Blonde. 
And and he's in Royal Tenenbaums, which is relevant. Here we go. Budget. This movie cost 45 million U.S. dollars as compared to 18 million for the first movie. Well, that's depressing. Isn't that weird? (laughs) Yeah. How was it even possible that this movie could cost that much money? It's not that the movie needed to cost 45 million. It's that (laughs) they got 45 million. Yeah. Because of how well the first one did. Yes. Opening weekend made $22,220,670. And the worldwide gross is $124,914,842. It's amazing what a good first movie can do for you. Yes. Um, I get why everybody on the planet feels like they have to make a sequel after a movie as successful as Legally Blonde because Mm -hmm. it feels like an economic obligation. But it's not always the right thing. Yeah, I agree. And apparently a lot of the budget money was because they like went ham with the marketing. Mm -hmm. And like I did some research on what they actually did. And it was like they had beauty brand collaborations. They paid for these buses in Washington, D.C. to be entirely pink. Like just shit like that, like really intense marketing. And of course, like with the beauty line, it was like cruelty free, Mm -hmm. like portion of proceeds go to whatever. Um, That makes sense. Yeah. I I mean, that's. Those are good ideas. No, no, they are good ideas, but it's probably a good chunk of like why it was so expensive. So now getting into the critical and audience opinions, the critic score was a 37%. Almost generous. <laughs> I have to agree. I mean, we haven't even Honestly, rewatched it yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as I was accumulating all of the reviews and stuff, I was like, oh yeah, I remember a lot about this not being good. Even when we were kids, which is saying something. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it's not, it's cheapened. Yes. It's cheapened in a lot of ways. Yes. So we think. We haven't re-immersed in quite a while. But the critic consensus was, this blonde joke is less funny the second time around. I can only imagine that that is true. These critic opinions. This time, L's improbable triumphs really are implausible. And way unfunny, as adroit and charming as Witherspoon is, and she gives it her all, she cannot rise above the embarrassingly broad, witless material. Second critic opinion. It's fluffy, it's fun, it's pink, it's got cute shoes, cute clothes, a cute star, and a very, very cute dog. Arf. (laughs) That's it. I hate that. Um, Next one. This is just embarrassing. A simply and utterly embarrassing attempt to market money from a charming film. And then Ebert, what's he got to say? Here's a quote from him. Um, He says, "The, (laughs) The movie's vision of Congress is hopelessly simplistic and idealistic. Characters have the same kinds of instant conversions that are standard on sitcoms where the unenlightened oppose something, have a sudden epiphany, and see the light. Consider Stan, a self-described Southern conservative who discovers, along with Elle, that both their dogs are gay and have fallen in love with each other. This softens him up on the legislation because he loves his gay dog, you see. Audience score, it had a overall percentage of 21% on Rotten Tomatoes and 2.7 stars average on Letterboxd. Some audience opinions. There's a five-minute scene where a man has a crisis about his dog being gay. 
Elwoods would and should speak out against Florida's don't say gay bill. <laughs> Ooh, and then just, love a recent I know, review. I know. And then just the Bible. Topical. And then I just compiled a little bit of uh, trivia. Really, it's just hearsay from the IMDb page because I feel like that shit goes heavily unchecked. So for the first film, apparently, Reese Witherspoon was paid $1 million. Um, and the entire film, as we already discussed, ultimately cost $18 million. But for the sequel, Witherspoon's salary was $15 million. She had such a bad time making this movie that she like made a rule for herself after this being like, I'm never doing a sequel to one of my movies ever again. Well, now she wants to do Legally Blonde 3, and I think that's because she will have control. Right. She also was an executive producer on this movie. At least she had that credit. I don't know how much actual power she had. Probably not a lot if she felt the way that she felt after the fact. Strangely enough, many dogs that worked for only one day on the, quote, million dog march scene were given a screen credit, while production assistants who had worked several months on this movie (laughs) did not. (laughs) Sorry to them. The cast includes four Oscar winners, Reese Witherspoon, Sally Field, Regina King, and Octavia Spencer. She's in this movie at some point. I don't know when, though. And then this one just made me laugh. Sally Field wore a wig in this movie. Speaking of, so yeah, now we're going to talk about when we first watched and what we remember. That bit about the Million Dog March just reminded me of the bonus features that were describing how they shot the Million Dog March, which is they had a group of like, maybe 40 people in front of a green screen Uh and then layered them back, just repeating the same shot, like back, 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 back and, and further back. So it looks like a, like a parade, like a March, if you will. Yes. And I remember thinking that that like made no sense to my childhood brain. I mean, in what way? Layering of of shots. Yeah. Yeah. Also on the bonus features, they make a huge deal of talking about the pink hair light that they use on Elle the entire time. And basically how it like reflects her mood. Yes. Yeah. Very subtle. Yeah. (laughs) A very subtle uh, choice. But at the time, I thought that was the peak of filmmaking. I mean, it kind of is. But the problem is the rest of the film doesn't match the otherworldliness of that. Yes. Visually. Yes. The rest of the film doesn't match the otherworldliness of her driving in a convertible with pink hair light. Like that makes no, you can't have (laughs) pink hair light outside in a convertible. Yeah. Um, But if stylistically, like if it had all matched that level of absurdity, it would probably be great. Yeah, I agree. It would have been cool. (laughs) An interesting take. We had this in the minivan. We did. Along with the first one. Mm -hmm. They were really skinny cases. And I kind of remember that, I mean, we watched a decent amount because we didn't have a ton of choices, but this movie did not. I mean, we had a ton of choices, actually, when you think about it. We probably had, what, like 20? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe more. I just remember that, like, at some point, there were more DVDs than could fit in the little case. Yeah. The case... If anyone's curious, it was like a cardboard carrying case for apples from an orchard that we used to go to, which was like very cute looking back at it. Okay, we're literally going to go watch this movie right now and uh, see what happens. And we will be right back, surely to shit on it. I would love to be more positive. However, Uh, we I'm sure we'll find some elements that are at least amusing. Yeah. And at the very least, Jennifer Coolidge. Yes. That's really all we need at the end of the day. Yep. BRB.
My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. Okay. Okay. We just watched this movie and wow, oh wow, have I been (laughs) sent to a new dimension. (laughs) About three quarters of the way through the movie, we decided to turn on the audio commentary because I just so happened to have the combined first and second movie DVD, which is kind of powerful, not going to lie. And the audio commentary is Jennifer Coolidge, Alana, and Jessica, as in Serena and what's your face? Um, the yeah. cheerleader friends. And yeah. it was the best decision we could have possibly made. Yeah. It's like listening to a podcast of those three talk about the movie that they're yes. in. Yes. It was so fun and funny. It was really, really good. Would recommend. It made the viewing experience a million times better. If you can get your pause on the DVD. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You should. But, okay. I guess we should just get the... The, the few good things out of the way. Because... Let's do it. There's much to discuss. Let's do it. It is June. (laughs) It is June. Um, My birth month, also gay pride. Yes. And this movie... (laughs) Viewed from the correct lens. Yes. (laughs) Viewed from, not the, well, viewed from a lens. Who Uh knows what they're intending? They're intending a liberal agenda here. Kind of. But it's so misguided. Well, they are. I mean, they want Elle to be liberal. They want Elle to be the woke queen of 2003. Right. But they also picked an option that's pretty. It's easy. It's it's not. Or an issue, not a super bipartisan, controversial issue. No. It feels like an issue that is so apolitical that they picked it. Mm -hmm. Like. Yeah. I mean, but then, of course, they're going to pick the apolitical issue and then involve you know, gayness or other things in it that are like, that make it calm, but they're trying to be funny. But to me, and the it, gayness has nothing to do with the... It doesn't. It's just them being like, haha gay. It's supposed to be that Elle is able to convince this Republican anti-gay senator that he should not be prejudiced against gay dogs and also support her bill. Yeah. But to me, the gayness just seems like... It's unexplored. But they've got this gay assistant in the beginning. Yeah. And they've got this... They've got these random people, these like extras almost, kind of representing some form of gayness. I think it was supposed to be... To me, it was just giving like 
queer eye adjacent yeah. vibes. Like, I don't think it was that deep, but I was no, happy they were there. It's not that deep. I'm just saying that it actually makes the gay dog thing even more confusing. Yeah, I agree. That they're there. Yeah. So you are going to include some gay people in the movie and talk about gay dogs? Yeah. Like, what? Yeah, I don't know about that. Pink light. We talked about it. It's aggressive as fuck. There's a lot of pink light. But it's pretty. It is pretty. I mean, it makes no sense, but it is pretty. In the commentary, we heard, uh, I think it was Alana was talking about how the director was using the movie Rock Candy as inspo. Mm -hmm. And that made a lot of things make sense to me about the style mm -hmm. and this like heightened kind of campy sense yeah. that you get when you watch it, which is not there in the first movie. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, this is not the time for that reference. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you saw, like, we watched a little bit more of the bonus features and like when you lay eyes upon the director and see him working, you're like, oh, like I get who this person is. But yeah, that... Not the movie. I'm thinking he's gay. That's what I was because implying. kissing Jessica Stein, rock candy, like, hair light. It's really adding, and I'm like, okay, yeah, like that's great. Yeah. Theoretically, we'll just keep saying good things, and it's then watered down though. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> there were a couple really funny lines. Obviously, Jennifer Coolidge is carrying most of the humor, but that is not a surprise at all. They gave her shit lines. They did. The only good line she has is you look like the 4th of July and I, I want a the hot snow dog. globe thing. Yeah, it is, but no one quotes that. Like people only ever quote the hot dog line from yeah. this movie. I mean, that's the only thing you ever hear about this movie literally yeah. ever yeah. nowadays. The little kid they give Paulette and when they put her up on the yes. desk and she has this like giant hair piece and yes. she's wearing a UPS uniform. It's like absurd. <laughs> also, she's like waxing the upper lip yeah. of her child. That was funny. I mean, it's great. We also, the nobody's fooled by Avril Lavigne moment when she's walking up the yeah. stairs. Amazing. But the best part of the whole movie for me was the your dogs are gay lady. Yeah. Do you want me to do it? Yeah, you should. <laughs> Your dogs are gay. <laughs> yeah. It's like they pick up their dogs from doggy daycare and it's like her and the Republican NRA guy. And uh, I don't even know how to describe the way this lady can like, it's like an <laughs> SNL character almost. Yeah, she's playing, she's a character actress. Yes. And she has just established herself yeah, in like, the canon. Yeah, by just this from that one scene. Roll alone. Yes. In the commentary when they finally got to the Million Dog March. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Alana goes, this sequence makes me proud to be an American. <laughs> And they were breaking down the costumes in every scene. And yes. they, they're they're kind of like Romy and Michelle. Like they, yeah. they just play off of each other and say ridiculous stuff. And they know it's ridiculous. Yes. And they were breaking down the colors of each costume. And there's this one scene where Reese has on like kind of like a sky blue juicy sweatshirt and mm -hmm. this scarf around her neck. Yes. And it's rainbow. And Alana was like, that scarf is from Rite Aid. <laughs> and then she was like, it's rainbow because 
pride. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then in the next scene, they were talking about like color therapy and like getting into all this chakra stuff. And obviously we all kind of know about chakras now, but I feel like even back then people wouldn't have known as much. Um, but in LA they would. Yeah. But you can just picture Jennifer Coolidge sitting there in silence because yeah. the other two gals talked more. Yeah. I was almost thinking she might've recorded separately, but then there was one moment where they did sort of interact. And I was like, Oh, I guess I think they yeah. are in the same room yeah but it almost seemed like they weren't maybe they were just excluding her they kind of were they were I would never do that shady it's not good or bad I guess it's more on the bad side just Octavia Spencer as a security guard for two seconds hadn't hit her um big parts it's just really it was really surprising to see her yeah she has got a lot of roles like that in the beginning of her filmography yeah the whole premise of this movie and the entire plot to me, feels like a pilot written in an NYU screenwriting, TV writing class. First try. First try, (laughs) like, by a 19-year-old. Where, like, the premise is not that bad, but then, like, everything else is pretty bad. That's what it reminded me of. I think the premise is bad. I think Elle Goes to Washington isn't a bad premise, but I think everything else is. When you're going to make a sequel to a really, really successful movie like Legally Blonde was, you have to decide... Is our protagonist going to go to a new environment to experience the same thing? Or are they going to grow and expand in the environment that we watched them in the first movie? Yes. And they made a clear, clear decision here to create the same story in a new environment. Yeah. I mean, that's not always true, though. It's not always true. Yeah. But it is often true. It is not a hard and fast rule. (laughs) But oftentimes... You're kind of setting yourself up for failure if you're bringing them to a new environment to experience the same story, the same beats. Yeah. To me, this movie feels like watching SpongeBob when you go to the next episode and no one learned anything. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Elle's character at the end of the first movie is not... Um, the same as she was at the beginning. Yeah. And we come into the second movie and she, it's like she's back at the beginning of the first movie. Yes, totally. And that's not how she wouldn't, that's not how she would interact in this new environment. She knows how to be professional. Yeah. She is respected in the courtroom now. Yeah. She's not, this isn't what she would do. Well, first of all, it's just like exactly what you said. It's like episodic in nature. Yeah. Like the whole thing is episodic in nature, but also just like, in, you know how in the first movie she graduates in 2004? They're like, class of 2004. In this movie, they date it 2003. And it's like, that's how, like, they talk about it being 2003. Mm-hmm. And like, that's just how careless. little, yeah, that's how careless they were being. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. It sucks to see that. Yeah. And you can really, 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 like, take every character from the first movie and find their, like, parallel in this yes. one. Yeah. And like, a lot of them are gender flipped or, or like, they, but they all have their, their parallel. Yes. Regina King is Selma Blair. Yeah. Congresswoman Rudd is Callahan in this situation that everybody has there. Yeah. Well, also, even the Delta New Lady is like the what's her name in the first the other teacher. And (laughs) in my mind, she's McGonagall. Yeah. (laughs) But why? Yeah. No, same. They're They're very similar. It's Holland Taylor. Taylor, Right. 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 (laughs) But Holland Taylor is the American. Maggie Smith, yeah. but younger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> fuck, that is so true. And despite the fact that Paulette is in this movie 
Bob Newhart is the Paulette. Yeah, they get, which sucks. Like, I want to yeah. see Paulette be the Paulette, but they left her in the dust. They just, she's just kind of vibing. She's like not there. She's not in DC. Yeah. Um, and same goes with Emmett. Now, probably what this movie should have been, and it kind of seems like they just couldn't get Luke on set. Like, it seems like uh-huh. he had to be low commitment, so he couldn't be a character in the whole movie. Yeah. And I think that's a, maybe what dis, what deterred them from making the plot what it probably should have been because this whole thing is hinging on their wedding. Yeah. She wants Bruiser's mom to be there for the wedding. That's yes. what sets off this yes. entire movie. Yes. And so usually if you're going to have a movie that is hinging on a wedding, the relationship will be important in the movie, but it's not like her, her and Emmett are fine the whole time. There's yeah. no struggles there yeah kind of feels like if it's about the wedding he needs to be more in the movie yeah (laughs) yeah or like I just feel like there's all these different ways they could have taken it where it would have involved him like instead of just like carbon copying the same plot it could have been about like (laughs) I don't know like work-life balance like yeah like they're getting pulled in different directions Shrek 2. I was about to say Shrek 2. Shrek yeah. 2. And about fitting into the world. That That's what I was thinking. Because Shrek 1, he is introduced to the world and is like, I love this woman, so I'm going to be with her. Shrek 2. <laughs> this woman. Shrek yeah. 2, it's how can I fit into this world? I feel inadequate. You need to see the character yeah. in their new state, their new status quo, and she's not. She's back to square one. Yeah. Or maybe something that interesting that could have happened is like she has to represent Delta New as a sorority in some case. Yeah. Or just something that's like using her new skills. Yeah. New perspective. They they ref they reference the first movie in all the wrong ways. Agreed. They don't take the heart and soul and quality of the first one, which is what should be carried over to yeah. a sequel. They take dumb lines and references, don't work. Yeah. And it makes me mad. No, it's super annoying. I wrote that down too. I wrote down so many fucking annoying references. Yeah, especially, you know, there's the ones you can see coming, like it's pink, it's scented, like. They talk about things being pink and scented like three times in this movie. Yeah, and they kind of do like a bend and snap 2.0. Not really, it's just a hand a handshake and there's a dance sequence with the yeah. girls. They're trying to channel the same yeah. thing. They also- like kick her out that like okay there's this part in the like near the beginning where she's in the court or not the courtroom in like the chamber I don't know with uh all the congress people and then Regina King and Regina King like sets her up to fail basically and she like embarrasses herself in front of everyone and then they're like we only take serious people here and it was just like you, you're exactly you're setting the up the first was. movie yeah. um Also, speaking of Regina King, kind of an odd choice. As soon as you put Regina King, who's so real, she brings every she brings a a realness to everything she's in. She's very grounded. Yeah. As soon as you put her in the scene opposite Elle Woods, honestly, watching it today, I'm like, yeah, she's Elle Woods is annoying. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would be annoyed too because Regina King has been here. She has learned the system. She's trying to get places. Yeah. And Elle Woods comes in and is like, I'm rich and I will do things my own way. Yeah. That's obnoxious. It is a little obnoxious. Also, just (laughs) Regina King is like way easier to side with than Selma Blair. 
is. Yes. Selma Blair is another white, rich, privileged, Harvard baby type. And so seeing them go head to head, there is no part of you that feels that there is like... Like a socioeconomic, like cultural rift happening. It's kind of like getter, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's like, do what you got to do. Yeah. But I don't want to see that with Regina King and they don't go there fully in no. the, at all. Because that would be making this movie even like a little bit political actually. Yeah. And that would be like too much. They want to avoid at all costs. And it's also just like, I don't know. I feel like the whole thing of like Elle's optimism and a bipartisan consensus in politics in general are so like, I don't know, like in a world where L exists, you could have bipartisan consensus probably, but that is not how it actually is. And she only becomes passionate about, and maybe this is true for humanity. Maybe I, I know what you're going to like, she only becomes passionate about political issues or things she wants to change based off of her, her life, which I, that does make sense in some it, form. Yeah. Your passions are formed but, that way, I guess. But it's like, I care about animals now because I I need yeah. a dog to, to be, be at my, my wedding. wedding. It's like, you're, are you insane? Yeah. And the L from the end of the first movie wouldn't do that. No. And... It's the same thing as the first movie where it's like, I'm going to go to law school to get my boyfriend back. And then she discovers all this stuff about herself and then she changes, which I do think happens in the end of the second one, too. But um, we were enjoying the commentary too much. It doesn't really happen, though. Not in an authentic, not in a way that you could even sort of buy. Well, when you've already seen it all happen once and you also see it get totally swept under the rug, it's hard to believe that anything is like real. If this movie were written properly and she started mentally where she was at the end of the first, where would she be at the end of the second? Probably there would be the wedding anyway. Like the wedding would be there, but. She probably would have had to have taken some kind of actual L. Yeah. Like. Maybe she like loses a case or something. Yeah. I don't know, but it it needs to have like good payoff, obviously. But like they, <laughs> the second movie is about her getting, what's it called? Disbarred. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That would be hilarious. Yeah. I was kind of joking, but also. Not actually disbarred, but maybe like in some kind of scandal. Who knows? There's a lot of Or she options. like tries to clear her own name for some reason. Like. Yeah. I don't know. We're just spitballing. Yeah. When she rolls up to the Lincoln Monument. (laughs) So good. So funny. She goes, so what's what's your story story to Abraham Lincoln? What's your story? She's like, "Um, how did you do it? How did you believe in this country? (laughs) I just don't know how you did it. I don't even mean wearing that silly hat because, I mean, that was really brave, but... Trust in your country. It's like, why are we talking about the country? You're talking about getting bullied in this in Congress. Yeah, like, let's be real here. And also, she was kind of alluding to the idea that, like, Abraham Lincoln never played political games or... And it's like, "Mm, I'm positive he did. Yeah. I'm pretty sure she said... I'm not sure if this is true. She was like, you were so, like... Honest. uh, 
No, she said brave too. So you're so brave. I mean, I mean, you got shot. That's pretty brave. <laughs> like I think she actually said that. It's not brave to get shot. I wish Warner was there. I guess, you know, he could come back as her, like the lawyer she's facing down. Facing. Yeah. Like if yeah. she was a defense lawyer and he was the other. Elle doesn't really seem like she would be a defense lawyer, but she, I mean, kind of, except the thing is defense lawyers have to just lie a lot. Like a lot yeah. of times their client is guilty. Yeah. So I feel like for that reason, she wouldn't be a defense lawyer. Maybe she would only take on clients of people she somehow knew. Of her sorority were sisters. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe. I just think it's a darn waste to have her go through law school, see how good of a lawyer she mm -hmm. could be, and then immediately drop it. Yes. No, I agree. And like there were multiple instances of her like cornering people being like, she literally was like, is it not the number one rule of nail polish, like manicure, whatever? <laughs> number one rule of, of nail, nail polish. polish. <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> it's the exact same thing from the yeah. first movie. And I'm her. just like, can you guys not can, come like, up with anything new? Well, this was made algorithmically to yeah. make money. Yeah, but like... But uh, it, it's pain. Yeah. It's kind of pain, but the commentary is not. <laughs> the commentary is great. The commentary is really, really good. So if you have access to the DVD, you should do it because it's great. Okay, so we're almost wrapped up here, but let's just get into the rules of sequels that we uh, stole from Shafrilis to evaluate whether a sequel is good or not. Okay, so first rule is a good sequel must expand the universe in which the story is told. I almost want to argue no, because it doesn't expand the same universe. Like geographically, yeah, it expands the universe, but it doesn't expand the same universe that we learned. It doesn't expand the like relational universe, yeah, really. No, it doesn't. It just drops everything and creates a new one. I, I don't I don't think that it. Yeah, it does. Well, the weird thing is that it technically doesn't, but it feels like it does. And that's kind yeah. of what matters more. Like, because they have recurring characters. It could have felt like an expansion, but because it was such a weird reset of everything, it didn't feel like an expansion. It just felt like a new episode. That's why I'm saying, no, it doesn't. I don't think it expands the universe. Geographically, yes. I think it does expand the universe, though. It just, I guess in basic terms, sure. Yeah. But like, if you actually think about it, no. So number two is continue the story. It's just the it same doesn't. plot again. Does not continue the story. Three, expand themes, introduce new themes. No. No. Hard no. Leave an impact on the universe in a positive way. No. No. In fact, if they make a third, I wonder if they'll even... They might ignore this one. Yeah. Or I bet if they do acknowledge it, it'll be like in a funny way where they're like... Like they acknowledge that it's bad, but in like a subtle way. I think they would just, nothing would be relevant other than the fact that they're married or, you know, that or they- like she had a stint in Washington. Like they might reference yeah, that, but- But nothing beyond that. Yeah. Also, we didn't talk about how bad the opening is. Yeah. They, they basically have this shot of a scrapbook and those same three, Paulette, Serena, and whoever, I can't Margo. remember. Margo. Margo, mm -hmm. yeah. They're only there in voiceover literally talking through the beats of the first yep. movie. A scrapbook of pictures that are just stills from yeah. the first movie. As though we didn't all see the first one. Yeah. If you're there in the second one, don't even worry about it. This yeah. person is not concerned with yeah. the beats of the first movie. Right, not at all. 
Yeah. It basically flunks all of the rules of sequels. Is this movie worthwhile? No. No, No, because the first one is so good. This one makes Princess Diaries 2 look like a masterpiece. Yeah, it does. I was actually thinking about that because of, you know, sequels that we've done before. And like, at least with Princess Diaries 2, there were new themes. It was like a new genre, weirdly. Like they made a choice. Yeah. And to me, that's also an interesting case because it's sort of both that she does go to a new environment, but to fit in. Yeah. So it still feels like the the correct momentum. We saw where she was at the end of the first movie. Mm-hmm. She's decided to be the princess and she's matured and she's learned. She's yeah. grown up a little bit. Second movie starts, she's in the plane. <laughs> she's in the oh, plane. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, landing in Genovia. And she's in that same headspace that she was at the end of the first yeah. movie. And it's like, this is correct. But it's also kind of a weird place to start off a character. Not to get into Princess Diaries too. It is, too. but it's way better than this. Yeah, I guess. Oh, yeah, because she's like conf- she's like confident and chilling and then she gets she's rattled journaling. by the... <laughs> she is. But then she gets rattled by the marriage thing. Yes. And that's what like sets her back or whatever. And that is a new obstacle for her. Yeah. I think that hold it holds up in this in these categories way more than this movie. Yeah, does. I agree. Like, I mean, there's no question. You could make an argument for everyone. This movie was one of the worst we've ever covered. I enjoyed the random gayness, mm-hmm. but that was basically it. And the pink hair light. Good, some good hairstyles. Yes. Um, also some really absurd wigs. Yeah. It's a gay movie, honestly. It is a gay movie, but like... But without without really... Without intention. These characters deserved better. Yeah, and, and I th- kind of feel like they all understood that through the commentary. They all knew yeah. they deserved better. They kept commenting on these bits that they filmed. They got cut that were funny. Yeah. And I feel like... Yeah, I feel like every character deserved better than they got. And that there, sucks. I bet there had to have been like studio interference because that director seems, seems like to he, know better. Yeah. yeah. And like, especially when um one of the actresses was talking about how there was like a reshoot four months later. Yeah. I was like, I wonder. Rewrites and stuff. Yeah. I bet there were rewrites. Thank you guys for hanging out with us today. Let us know what you guys think of this movie. If you really loved it when you were a kid, if you hated it when you were a kid, if you hate it now. If you just never saw it and never seen ignore it. its existence. Yeah, don't see it. Um, But we will be back next week as always. Bye. Bye. You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover-cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at twopingpictures.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Sleepover Cinema and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube and Facebook every Thursday. And if you like the show, if it brings back evocative memories of childhood or tweendom or babysitting, share an episode or two with a few friends. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman and has theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Our executive producer is Michael D'Aloya. Leave us an iTunes review telling us what movie you'd like to see us cover next or leave us one because you like us and it's good for the algorithm and we need it. We'll chat again soon. Bye. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, Next Best Picture. 
Com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.